Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. I'm John Schuck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. On Religion for Life, we talk to folks from a variety of religious traditions. Last week, I spoke with Rabbi Rob Cabelli of Congregation Beth Israel in Asheville, North Carolina. And we talked so long that I needed to turn it into two programs. Uh, Today, uh, we continue our conversation. We'll talk about social justice and service and Jesus in the Jewish tradition and the work of Congregation Beth Israel and the First Amendment. Rabbi Rob Cabelli, welcome again to Religion for Life. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, John, for inviting me to be on the air with you. Last week, we talked about... uh, Judaism and the Torah or the law, and I want to continue that conversation with you, uh, and especially into the concepts of service and loving kindness within Judaism. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Rob? With respect to service, it's a it's a amazing word because it means work, but it also means serving God, and that's true in Hebrew. The la- and it's true as well in religious con- concepts and uses of that word in English, and one does come from the other. And so service may mean may be expressed really as devotion, devotion to God through whatever form of religious experience the individual or the individual in the context of a community engages in. And so what that means in a certain sense is that everything that a person who is Jewish does that is a reflection of rituals, observances, ways of interacting with other human beings, is considered, as it were, a service of God mm-hmm. and a service to God. In Judaism, Judaism in many ways is a kind of relational religion. We relate to God. We cannot define God. God is beyond human understanding and human descriptors. So we relate to God. And how do we relate to God? We relate to God through our awe at the wonder of the universe. We relate to God through our ability to connect and relate to other human beings through the metaphor of human beings being created in God's image, having that spark of godliness within within ourselves. I say metaphor because notwithstanding the literal words of the Hebrew Bible and Genesis with its creation stories, Judaism as a religion in general embraces science and embraces, for example, concepts of evolution. They are not conceived of, generally speaking, as being in in conflict with the teachings of our Torah. Now, not all Jews would agree with what I just said because there is a tremendous diversity within Judaism just as there was within Christianity. But education is a real important part. I noticed on the website uh, a large variety of educational opportunities, introduction to Judaism for Jews and non-Jews, classes in Hebrew language, women in Judaism, Jewish meditation, uh, Jewish view of the afterlife. Uh, So what is the Jewish view of the afterlife? Or is there one? Ah, you see, there is the old joke, if you will, that if you ask 
three Jews a question, you get four answers. Could even be said in some cases, uh -huh. if you ask a one rabbi a question, you get four answers. So you're asking a rabbi here, and I have to say that in general, traditionally, Judaism has had a concept of the afterlife, but it has been quite variable from group to group. It's, um, it's a general concept, and individual groups of Jews at different points in time in history have developed particular views that most speak to them. But the general view of the afterlife would be that there is an afterlife, that the soul does live on in some fashion, and that, uh, how to put it, that there's not quite a clear-cut or concrete sense of a hell, more of, let's say, a purgatory, a, a waiting place, a limbo before inclusion in heaven. That's the general framework for it. But I have to tell you that if you had asked most American Jews in the 20th century, do Jews believe in an afterlife, most outside of the Orthodox world would have said, no, we don't. And what mm. that reflects is that Jewish understandings of afterlife or of anything else are very dependent upon who you're speaking to and the community in which they have been educated. So okay, there so is no sim simple no answer. Final answer. No final answer. answer. I, I, I also enjoyed on the website, it said there, an upcoming program was Jesus a Good Jew. Uh, so what, was Jesus a good Jew or was he a bad Jew? I think he was Jesus, certainly a Jew. I think Jesus was a very good Jew. <laughs> I really do. I think in his own lifetime, he followed very, very much in the prophetic tradition preceding him. After all, the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament prophets as they're, as they're referred to, were very much, I mean, totally motivated by issues of social justice. They did not see themselves as being needing to tear down Judaism. Rather, they saw themselves as the thorn in the side of those institutional figures and institutional forms that had lost their way a little bit because we know that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's never changed. So I think Jesus was a great Jew who was a little bit on the edge and, and more power Jesus for that. You know, uh, I'm involved with an organization as an associate member of the Jesus Seminar. We're looking toward the historical Jesus. And, um, and one of the uh, members of the seminar is Pamela Eisenbaum, teaches, I believe, at uh, Vanderbilt, I think. And uh, she, um, you know, has, has uh, and she also talks about uh, the, the Jewishness of Jesus. And I'm wondering if there's, in, in, that, in that study, if there's a point of connection uh, between uh, contemporary Judaism and Christianity regarding the, the historical person of Jesus, as you mentioned, as a, as a prophet. I think there are in many, many ways, whether we speak of, in terms of prophets um, or if we speak in terms of the rabbinic tradition of questioning authority, the rabbinic tradition of framing references to sacred texts in terms of story. In fact, in that, and that is, the latter is what's called midrash, and, and it actually comes from a word that means to seek. And I would say that Jesus, as quoted in the, in the um, Christian Bible in the New Testament, fits perfectly in with his 
time of the rabbinic world in terms of use of midrashim, use of stories to try to question authority, to try to flesh out and make real words from ancient, even then ancient scriptural texts. And so I think we both, both religions really come from that same rooted path and Jesus can be seen as an exemplar within that for both traditions. This is Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion and social justice and religion and public life. My guest is Rabbi Rob Cabelli of Congregation Beth Israel in Asheville and uh, talking about um, uh, Judaism, talking about uh, Judaism in Asheville and, and related to uh, social justice. What is the, the term for social justice in uh, Judaism? The term, and it's, a, it's, its use in this context is relatively recent, within the last 50 years approximately, is tikkun olam. And those are two Hebrew words, and what they mean literally is repairing the world. And so within Judaism, there is this, there is this uh, idea that the world is a somewhat broken place. Um, mystics speak of the world having been shattered into broken glass, if you will, from vessels of light into broken glass in the creation of the world. I think it's an attempt to just express the idea that I think we all feel that we wish things were perfect. Judaism embraces free will, and so arguably when you have free will, you cannot have perfection mm -hmm. because... But, but so tikkun olam is the idea that the real core in many ways of what our duty as human beings is, is to make the world a better place. And that means a place that's safer for every person to fulfill his or her own potential as if you will, a sacred vessel. The idea that we're all sacred vessels. Our bodies and our souls, our minds, etc. we're sacred vessels. And so we have to do a better job of ensuring that every person is able to fulfill his or her potential. And so that means there is a direct call, really, to be involved in things that would be conceived as fulfilling that. And so tikkun olam becomes the umbrella for all manner of social justice and social action activities. And what are some of those activities that you have going on at uh, Congregation Beth Israel? We are involved along with many, many other congregations, non-Jewish as well as Jewish of variety denominations and religions. We're involved in, with many faith institutions in especially issues that involve food insecurity and homelessness. And so Beth Israel, like many, many other congregations, ha serves meals at the local rescue ministry mission where the homeless are served meals on a daily basis. Beth Israel will soon be taking part in something called Room at the Inn. That's a project that's been going on for more than a dozen years involving scores of congregations that create a safe place that moves about for women who often have been in abusive situations and are homeless. 
We, um, along with a number of other congregations in the last year, have put together a collaboration between ourselves and Homeward Bound, as Room at the Inn is a collaboration between congregations and Homeward Bound, uh, to provide support teams for people who have been placed into housing, who had been previously homeless, and who need that human support and human community, in addition to social workers and case workers, etc. They need that human support as they are trying to learn how it is to actually function in the housed society as opposed to the society or culture of the homeless. And so these are a number of the different areas, and there are additional ones. Um, we just, I think, people of faith are coming together around the proposition that part of our duty on earth, and certainly Jesus would have expressed this, is mm -hmm. to help ensure that the homeless have housing, that those who do not have clothes or food have clothes and food to eat and to, and to wear. And so the environment is also an area in which there's a lot of effort underway that within faith communities I and was many going to of ask it, about that a little bit, about uh, thinking about e environment and ecology uh, and thinking about the future and social justice and ecological and economic justice. I, um, I remember when I came to my congregation, they asked me, what's the most important theological question? And, and I remember at that time saying, I have a, my nephew Hunter is one, years old, one year old. Um, mo most important question for me is, what's the world going to be like when he's my age? Uh, and I and uh, and so that that idea of tikkun olam, olam, yes, uh, of uh, eternal justice, that aspect of uh, what we're doing. So there's a short story that I want to briefly tell. It's it's a Jewish Rimp Van Winkle story, uh -huh. but it actually dates back at at least fifteen or sixteen hundred years. So it predates the American Rip Van Winkle story. And it concerns somebody who is seen as a sage within a lot of rabbinic stories, a particular man who's seen as as a, as a sage, but also a somewhat problematic one. And in this story, this particular story, it's a very hot day, and he s finds a large rock to lean against under the shade of a tree, and he leans back against it. And while he's leaning back, he notices a very elderly man planting a sapling in the hot sun of the dry heat of the you know ancient Near East. And he thinks the man is out of his mind at his age to be planting a tree right now. Why are you planting a tree, he asks him. And the man says, well, I'm planting the tree so that it will grow up and be a larger tree. And, and he says, I'm planting it for my grandchildren. And our sage, leaning against the rock, says, but you'll never live to see that tree grown up bearing fruit. And with that, he gets drowsy in the heat of the day and falls asleep. Seventy years pass, and he wakes up, and he sees some children around this beautiful, majestic tree, and they're playing in the shade of the tree. They're eating from its fruit, and he's a little puzzled. He wonders, as we all do, the alarm clock goes off. Where am I? Who am I? What time is it? What day? Mm -hmm. And he speaks with them and realizes that 70 years have gone by, and he 
asks the children who they are and, and where did that tree come from, and they speak of their grandfather having planted the tree long, long, long time ago. And this is the story that we plant things in this earth for our children and our children's children and generations to the seventh generation as the Native Americans tell their own version of this kind of thing. I think it's incredibly important. I worry about it a lot. Mm -hmm. I worry about the world we're leaving for future generations. And Judaism at its core is actually an earth religion. Mm -hmm. It was created by people who were living an agricultural life. And they understood that the food they ate, the shelters they built for each other, the clothes they wore were all directly tied to the ground, the earth, and the health of the earth. And so they were very environmentally conscious. It was natural. In fact, it was the only way to live and survive if you were going to be farmers, which is what they were. They were not hunter-gatherers. And so it's really quite central to Judaism. All of Jew Judaism's major festivals actually originate as festivals celebrating harvests or planting or things of that nature. And so I feel very strongly that Judaism is an ecological religion and always has been, and that part of our challenge nowadays is to revive that sense of connection to the world within people who live lives that are so removed from it. We don't see the connection between what we eat and the earth. We pick it up at a supermarket. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of, I mentioned earlier that we're gonna be taking part in a community garden, and that is part of it. I think there's a real movement in faith communities to restore our sense of connection to the earth and that by planting gardens, not only do we provide food for the needy and provide food for ourselves, we provide the richness of the earth as the matrix in which our children can reconnect to it. Rob Cabelli is my guest. He is the rabbi of Congregation Beth Israel. This is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. And you've been doing work in Asheville regarding the First Amendment. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I'd love to. Um, when I arrived in Asheville, there was something called the Jewish Community Relations Council. There's also a much larger Community Relations Council in Asheville. That's an arm of, this, of the city, and this is a separate thing. And it, in part, had the mission of ensuring that Jewish holiday, that the school administrators be aware of Jewish holidays so that Jewish students could be excused from school on certain very, very major Jewish holidays, at least not have exams be given on such days mm -hmm. so that they could have excused ab absences. And that this is a very, very import important thing. Otherwise, Jewish students would feel that their observance of their own faith is being prevented by the public. Um, and so that was important for me to, and, and a necessary thing for me to take part in as a rabbi. Periodically over the years, I've been here five and a half years, going on six years now, periodically we hear of particular incidents in schools, whether in Asheville City or in Buncombe County, where things may happen that feel to Jewish students as if they are being placed in an awkward position, 
not being allowed to maintain the neutrality of their own faith system with respect to other religions mm-hmm. and and feel at times even the coercion of peer pressure or coercion from authority figures with respect to how they maintain the integrity, their own integrity of their own religious beliefs. At the same time, I want to say that there's been a tremendous amount of education about religions that takes place in these schools, and which I applaud because there's a profound difference between education about religions and the promotion of a single religion in the public sphere. And so recently, this has come to a bit of a head in in Buncombe County in Asheville over cer- certain incidents that have taken place. And this has given rise to the Buncombe County Board of Education attempting to craft a policy concerning religions in schools, having to do with with rights that we all see as being very vital, our independence, our freedom of speech, and as well our freedom of religion in this multicultural society that, like it or not, we truly live in, and that is part of the richness of life on earth. And so um, I am hoping that the Board of Education will craft a policy that will be very proactive in terms of training for teachers and employees and volunteers and principals with respect to the importance of being sensitive to our children's needs and our children's vulnerability. We want every child to feel be free to take pride in their own faith tradition, but we don't want one child's pride in their faith tradition to be a discouragement to another child for expressing their, his or her faith tradition. And I think all of this can, we can live together and well It seems that this this. is a possibility and and, and a probability that this can happen. Uh, Reasonable people can work this out. I believe so. And I think our challenge as reasonable people is to all be reasonable Uh on issues that are very much issues of the heart. Let us learn to be reasonable with each other on these issues of heart. Let us learn to to respect each other's differences and provide the place for each other to feel free without trampling on anyone's freedom. I think this is the challenge that we must rise to, but I also am confident that we can. And I think most of the time we do a really good job about it. And what we're hoping now is simply that more training and more sensitivity and better communication within the school system and between all the, all the players in the school system and the public community at large will take place so that we will all grow to simply do a better job at this. My guest is Rabbi Rob Cabelli, a rabbi of Congregation Beth Israel in Asheville. If someone wanted to become a member of your congregation, what would she uh, or he need to do? Probably the first thing they would end up doing would be emailing me or coming to a service based upon something in this modern age that they had seen on the internet, Mm -hmm. or maybe they'd seen me somewhere else or had talked to someone who's a member of my congregation, and then they'd probably come for one of our prayer services or one of our social activities or social justice activities, a, a holiday celebration, something like that, and then we hope that they would take the path 
of getting to know the community because essentially anything that we do is free and open to the public, from adult education to all of the other things that I just mentioned. Everyone is welcome to come and observe or participate in any way, shape, or form that they wish. And so I would hope that someone would become part of the community, as it were, and then realize that they wanted to become a member of the community. So would a place to start, for example, if someone were listening to this program today and, and wanted to attend a Shabbat service, would yes. that be a, a, a door into Absolutely. the community? And I would encourage them to contact the synagogue, either me, myself, or, or the woman who runs our office, and we would give advice about what service might be a good entry path for them, depending upon their own religious and spiritual framing. We have services that are very traditional. We have services that are very non-traditional. We have on every other Sunday a Jewish meditation circle. Um, so we have different entry paths because we know that in this world people have become conditioned in many, many ways, in many very diverse ways with respect to what they're seeking in spirituality. So how would uh, we contact you if we wanted to get involved? You could reach me by email. My email address is Rabbi Beth Israel, all as one word, Rabbi Beth Israel at bellsouth.net. The synagogue's email address is Beth Israel NC for Beth Israel, North Carolina, at bellsouth.net. And those would be great ways to, to contact us. And the synagogue is in the phone book, and its number is area code 828-252-8431. And your website also is Beth Israel NC. That's right. Dot org. Dot org. Dot org. My guest has been Rabbi Rob Cabelli, Rabbi of the Congregation Beth Israel in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, Rabbi, it's so good to have you with, uh, with me today on Religion for Life. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for all the good work you're doing. Right. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Schack, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.